Well, you don't just believe the gospel and then go straight to heaven, do you? Uh, God, in his mercy and wisdom, leaves us here, leaves us here for the time that he's allotted to grow to maturity as his sons and daughters. And so we live our Christian lives in time and through time on this earth. They have, like our physical lives, a beginning, a middle and an end. They have, like a journey or a marathon, a beginning, a middle and an end and like a marathon. They have a destination, a goal to which we are always moving. But there's a difference, isn't there, between our Christian lives and our physical lives. Uh, not many of us, thankfully, because while I don't remember my own birth, I do remember the birth of the children and it was a little messy and just a touch traumatic, uh, not particularly for me but for others involved, uh, but uh, not many of us, thankfully, can remember when we were born into this life. But many of us can remember when we were born again, when we became believers, first consciously knew ourselves to confess Jesus as our Lord and the Lord of all. And we can remember what accompanied that commitment, joy, overwhelming gratitude, a passion to share the gospel and for some of us, trouble, opposition from family or friends, criticism from schoolmates or work colleagues. The author of Hebrews, as he instructs his first hearers and us about how we can show we are convicted of the truth of Jesus, that is, convicted that he is, as Hebrews has said, our great high priest who has made that sacrifice of himself that has cleansed us, convicted that he has fitted us for the presence of our holy God, brought us into the new covenant where our sins are remembered no more, convicted that he, Jesus, is the Son who has now sat down in the presence of God awaiting his enemies to be made a footstool for his feet. The author of Hebrews, as he instructs his first hearers and us about how we can show we are convicted of the truth of Jesus, now takes them back in verses 32 following to the beginning of their Christian lives. So far in this section, he has said we show that conviction about the truth of Jesus by living, verses 19 to 25, the distinctive lives of believers, and then verses 26 to 31, by our heeding the warning that there is salvation in no one else other than Jesus. He's already told us this, but now he says that the truth of Jesus is shown by believers continuing as they have begun, by you continuing as you have begun if you're a believer. And our author will use that recollection of their beginning boldness and confidence in Jesus to transition into the next major section of this written sermon, this homily, that is chapter 11, which the beginning of which you heard read, our author's great encouragement of his hearers to persevering faith by holding before us the many examples of faith in the pages of the Old Testament. And he wants to focus on faith because he knows it is persevering faith in Jesus that receives what is promised. He knows that having started on the race of faith, we need to persevere, to endure to the end, to the finish line, to gain the prize. He wants us to be, as you heard in verse 39, 
those who have faith and preserve their souls. Verse 32. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners to those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Our author, as I've said, tells them to recall the beginning, the former days, when they, he said, were first enlightened, that is, when they had first believed the gospel and saw the light of the truth of Jesus for themselves. Now that was a tough time for them. They were tested by suffering for the gospel they had come to believe, publicly slandered, verbally abused, false accusations. Oh, and suffering physically, some thrown in prison, others having their possessions plundered. Now that was often the experience of believers in the first century. For example, when Paul preached the gospel in Thessalonica, Luke tells us that, say verse 5, some of the Jews became jealous of non-Jews coming to trust the Jewish Messiah. And so taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. That's Paul and Silas. When they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authority, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them, and they're all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. Now just imagine how frightening that could have been for Jason and his fellow believers. And that's not all. They take security. There is a monetary punishment for these first believers in coming to trust Jesus. This was the experience of the Thessalonians. And so Paul could say of them, verse 6 of 1 Thessalonians 1, You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction. These are not theoretical possibilities our author is speaking of. Their trials were real. But like the Thessalonians, the believers Hebrews is addressed to endured. They did not cave in to that pressure. And they endured being willing to associate with each other, loving one another, partnering with each other in their trials. In their trials, not separating themselves from other believers. And so their suffering didn't make them grow cold or withdraw. They loved them enough to visit their imprisoned brothers and sisters. And that was necessary in those days, for prisoners could starve in ancient prisons unless they were provided for by friends and family. But it was also risky. In identifying with these Christian prisoners, the visitors could have been imprisoned themselves for the same crime, being Christians. But they kept loving. And it says they were even joyful in the loss of their property. Now think of that. How would you feel if your home or business was just taken from you? I mean, we are very invested in our homes, aren't we? 
in having a place of our own. It's what we work for. It's our security in this world. We fear being homeless and destitute. And yet the loss of property meant more for them. They had no social support, no welfare, no safety net. And yet it said, you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Why? Well, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. They joyfully accepted the plundering of their property because they had a confident, a bold faith in Jesus. Jesus, who himself had suffered for faithfulness to God, suffered to do the will of God. Oh, Jesus, who had said to his followers that they were blessed in suffering for him. Matthew 5.11 Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Oh, Jesus, who by cleansing them, by bringing them into the new covenant relationship with the almighty living God where their sins were forever forgiven, had guaranteed to believers their hope, made certain their participation in rising to life in the new heaven and earth. They knew Jesus' word, his promise of eternal life, was true because they knew his work on the cross was effective. And so they knew that they possessed what they could not yet see, what was promised to them, and reacted to their loss in that light with joy. Their faith had made that possession certain, as if they already had the title deeds to their heavenly home in their hands. And so they knew, even as they suffered, that they had the better part of the bargain, losing what they could never hold on to, to gain through trusting Jesus what they could never lose. And that's right, isn't it? Everything we possess here will be lost. Our homes, our cars, our computers, what do you value? Our books. As scripture says, naked we come from the womb and naked we depart. We brought nothing into this world and we take nothing from it. You might be buried like the Pharaoh with all your treasures. But what do those treasures do? No, they just ensure that you will make your grave robber rich. But belonging to Jesus, being amongst his people by confessing him Lord, means that you have a home in the heavenly Jerusalem where no enemy will ever disturb you, where you will suffer no want, where you, it says, will see the face of God, the God you were made to know and love. And so secure in the promise, these first believers rejoiced to suffer for belonging to Jesus, to endure loss for the sake of confessing Jesus as Lord. Their beginning was characterised by confidence, boldness, the confidence that comes from knowing Jesus has given you as a believer the authority, the confidence to come into the very presence of the true, living, holy, almighty God now in confident, bold prayer and then 
in person, given us that authority once and for all by his death. That was their beginning, openly identifying as believers in Jesus, willingly loving Jesus' people, boasting of their hope, having joy where others would be overwhelmed by fear and anxiety. They were confident. Verse 35, even in the face of hostility, don't throw it away, he says. And he says that to us, confidence is right and proper. It's the response to the gospel that honours Jesus and it has a great reward. Resurrection in a body like Christ's, the new Jerusalem, that eternal rest is spoken of, sharing the rest of God. And so God says in his word to them and to us, remember and continue as you have begun. Continue in faith, hope and love. Continue as you begun, because Jesus has not changed. The gospel promise has not changed from the day when you first believed. He was Lord then, he is Lord now. He was your loving Saviour then, who brought you with confidence into the presence of the Almighty God then, and he is now. Oh, he was the only one who could give you life then, and he still is. So where are you in your Christian journey? Just near the beginning? Or maybe you know you're nearing the end. Or perhaps you're in that long stretch where you have left the start kilometres ago and the finish is still nowhere in sight. Can you remember when you first believed? It may not have been a spectacular before and after story. It may have been a gradual growing in conviction. You might have been brought up in a Christian home. But can you remember the joy of recognising for yourself that Jesus was your Lord and the one who'd loved you enough to give himself for you, to give you life? Can you remember the joy of having a hope that hope of eternal life, the wonder at being loved so much that God would give his son for you, the relief of being freed from the shame of your past failure, oh, the gratitude of being forgiven for your sin, a sin which you, which you may well have felt with a new power when you started to see how good God is. Oh, can you remember wanting to tell others because it was so good to belong to Jesus? Can you remember perhaps even the joy of being slandered for Jesus' sake, glad to be identified with him? Can you remember your beginning? Where are you now? Have you let it all become routine? Christian is just something you are, where you take it all for granted. Or maybe you're growing weary like the marathon runner whose legs are getting heavier with each kilometre. Maybe starting to think you can't go on because troubles have overwhelmed you. Or remember your beginning. Jesus hasn't changed. He is the reigning Lord who gave himself for you. The effectiveness of his death 
hasn't changed. His promise hasn't changed. His love for you hasn't changed. Keep your confidence. Renew your confidence by thinking about what he has done for you. The Son of God, said St Paul, who loved me and gave himself for me. By thinking about what he has done for you, by thinking about what he has promised you, he who hears my words and believes him who sent me will not come into judgment but has passed from death to life. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Think about what he has promised you. And yes, think about his present work for you, how he knows you by name, calls you by name, always lives to intercede for you, to save you for all time. Continue as you have begun and recognise that you are believer in a marathon. Recognise that yours is a pilgrimage and you need endurance. Recognise that it is an enduring faith which is the way to life. Verse 36, For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God you may receive what is promised for yet a little while. And that's actually a quote from Isaiah 26, just that phrase. Yet a little while. And now he moves into Habakkuk. And the coming one will come and will not delay but my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. You see, following Jesus was never a matter of just making a decision, was it? It was never a sprint. Oh, and it was never about getting it all now, prosperity and health in this life. It was actually always about following. Following, being like your Lord, putting your feet in his path. And our Lord, we're told, remember, did the will of God. He endured suffering to do that will, the will that saved you. I've come to do your will, he said. Now we are to endure in trusting Jesus and live out that trust by keeping on doing our Father's will, even if it means suffering. Doing his will, the endurance that comes from faith, is actually the way God says he will bring us to what he's promised, just as it was the way he brought the Son who learnt obedience through what he suffered to the joy of his eternal reign. And so, believer, you need endurance. Trusting Jesus, keeping on trusting Jesus and doing what Jesus commands simply because you do trust him. You confess him, Lord. You know, doing his will, being honest in work even when others just see you as difficult, faithful in marriage even if it is unhappy and lonely, chaste in singleness even when all your friends tell you you are missing out, Forgiving those who repent, even if it costs you deeply. Loving your enemy. Being faithful to Jesus, even when you are mocked. Seeking the lost for their saviour. With all the time that consumes and all the grief it may bring, 
loving God. That is the will of your Saviour. You need endurance. But endurance is difficult at the best of times, isn't it? In fact, the very word endurance will tell you it's going to be tough just to keep going. And in our ordinary lives, endurance is not fashionable, is it? Not often associated with a, with joy and a flourishing life. More often we think of endurance as gritted teeth. The world says just keeping on at the one thing on the one course so unfulfilling that you should try lots of things. The world says difficulty is to be avoided, not endured. Your circumstances hard, just move on. You know, we are the kids on the back seat saying, are we there yet before we've even got to the end of our own street? You know, we're the runners, always looking for the smart shortcut. Endurance is not natural for us. And yet, yet we do admire the athlete who endures, don't we? The marathon runner who makes it to the end, the skier who comes back after that knee reconstruction, the scientist who pursues her idea over decades until it's proven and recognised, the parents who day after day care for their child with a disability. Endurance and achievement we know often go hand in hand. In fact, the Apostle says in Romans 5 that endurance is the way God uses to give us a tested character and a hopeful life. Remember that passage? I, I didn't put it in the PowerPoint, but Romans 5, he says more than that. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Endurance doesn't just get us to that goal then. Endurance is God's way of working in us now to give us that tested, that approved character, that life of hope which will not disappoint. That's right, endurance, perseverance in trusting Jesus will be vindicated. You will receive what God has promised. God won't fail of his promise. Jesus will return to save his people. The coming one will come and will not delay. He will come on the day of God's choosing. And until that time, Scripture, Habakkuk 2, says that there are actually two ways to live. My righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Our author quotes from the Greek version of Habakkuk 2 to make his point clear, that God has always promised life to those who believe, who persevere in faith in him by believing his word, the faith that shows itself in daily faithfulness. In fact, Rather than say there are two ways to live, it would be better to say there is one way to live, the way of faith, the faith that is faithful, and one way to perish, shrinking back from a bold, a confident confession of Jesus. And if you're here and you're not yet a believer, 
You should hear that it is those who have faith in Jesus who preserve their souls, who come to eternal life. And so ask yourself, who are you trusting for life? What holds you back from trusting Jesus? If you've got questions, come and ask and talk about what's involved in trusting Jesus. But most of us here are believers. And God's saying to us in his word that we really need to think about this call for endurance. If we feel ourselves growing weary or cold, disinterested in sharing the gospel of Jesus or tempted to give in to fear. You see, we didn't become followers of Jesus, didn't believe the gospel, to live a comfortable, well-adjusted, prosperous life in the present. Believing is not ultimately about lifestyle or even a satisfactory and coherent set of ideas. It's not about a better morality or family values. We believed for relationship with the true and living God, the almighty and holy and just and loving creator where we can know him and call him Father and where we are freed to love him. We believed for eternity, not just for this life. We believe for the resurrection and a future so glorious that we cannot imagine it. And God won't fail of his promise. Our God created the world by a word. He can raise the dead. And so remember, it is worth everything to keep believing, being those who have faith in Jesus, no matter what we may have to give up now, no matter what hardships we are experiencing now. And now is not the time to hide your faith, to withdraw, but to be bold, to keep that confidence firm to the end. Now is the time to be bold. Whatever your family says, however our society caricatures and slanders the Christian faith, whatever the pressure you may feel in the workplace with the promotion of ideas that deny Christian truth, be confident, he says, endure doing the will of God. And believers, where we grasp the gospel preached to us in Hebrews, are confident. Because we know Jesus has died for our sins, cleansed us by his one sacrifice once for all. We know Jesus has brought us into the presence of God by his blood now. We know we are included in the new covenant where our sins are forgiven forever, never again remembered. We know Jesus is our great high priest, always interceding for us, and that we can always draw near for grace and help. And so we know our hope is secure. The fulfilment of the promise is certain. We can endure confidently. We are those of faith and so preserve our souls. But what is the faith that perseveres, that gains life? It's so important uh, that our author is going to devote really a whole chapter, going to give us a brief definition of faith as you heard in verse 1 and then relate to us many examples of faith to encourage us to keep running the race of faith ourselves. But that's for next week. What you need to hear if you're a believer 
is that you need endurance. And faith in Jesus, the Jesus whom you first believed in, is the source of the endurance that wins, that keeps on doing the will of God and by that means comes to enjoy what is promised. So remember the Jesus you first believed in, the Jesus whom you met in the gospel, the Jesus who died for your sin and who has risen again, whom it was joy to know. He hasn't changed. Remember the Jesus who himself endured and by enduring has triumphed and sits at God's right hand and can always save his people, save you. Remember the Jesus who will return in just a little while to bring salvation to those eagerly awaiting him. Remember the Jesus whom you met in the gospel and whom you knew loved you and called you to himself. Keep your eyes on him. Maintain your boldness. Be determined to be amongst those who have faith and so preserve their souls, their life, for eternity. Let's pray. True and living God, we thank you that you have brought us here this morning, if we're believers in Jesus, to hear this encouragement. Please help us to remember Jesus. The Jesus we met in the Gospel, the Jesus we entrusted ourselves to by believing that Gospel. The Jesus who gave himself for us, that one effective sacrifice the Jesus who has cleansed us and brought us to know you. The Jesus who even reigns now, knows us by name, who cares for and keeps us. And the Jesus who will return in glory, your Son, our Saviour. Help us to remember him, we pray, and renew us in our confidence and boldness, and give us a determination, we pray, to endure, to keep on running the race of faith, endure doing your good will, just as our Saviour did your will, and came through the cross to glory. Help us to remember Jesus and be confident. Amen.